Welcome back to The Doctor Is In with Dr. Nadia Saba. I'm Dana Swadan, Dr. Saba's producer. This episode is part of our What Plants Crave series, where Dr. Saba speaks with growers, researchers, and other experts in controlled environment agriculture to get their insights about the direction of the industry and, of course, what it is exactly that plants crave. On today's episode, we're speaking to Steve Squalia of Amplified Farms. Steve Squalia put his 20 years of cannabis industry experience to use as the co-founder of Amplified Farms, Cultivated California, and most recently, Friendo Flower. His daily tasks involve designing, building, and generating operations for cultivation facilities and harvesting relationships with industry specialists. He has utilized his background as a general contractor to work with SMUD, a local utility company, on designing new facilities with LED lighting, embarking on the forefront of a revolutionary idea that will undoubtedly change the future of cultivation. Squalia's deep passion and dedication to the cannabis industry are reflected in Amplified's impeccable track record in the most highly regulated market and in their consistent recognition and validation by peers in and outside of the industry. Squalia will continue to be driven by his undying love for the community that he serves and his immovable belief in what he does. Thank you for listening. Hi everybody, this is Dr. Nadia Saba from Dr. Greenhouse, and this is our podcast series, What Plants Crave. Uh, We are talking to you today from the Big Sexy Brewing Company in Sacramento, California, and uh, here with me is my guest, Steve Squalia, a cannabis enthusiast and grower uh, here in Sacramento for a long time. Um, Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, um, I'm really excited to talk to you about the cannabis plant, um, what it craves and what you love about it and why you got into it. Um, Before we get into all that, though, tell us about yourself. Tell us about what you do here. I know Mm -hmm. that you have a lot of businesses going on. Uh, You've been cultivating for a long time. Yeah, just give us a little bio. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me again. Um, I guess it all started when I was a little bit younger and I uh, became like really fascinated with cannabis in itself. Just um, the plant was my like kind of my first introduction to it. Um, I was fortunate enough to grow up a little bit around some cannabis cultivation, and then uh, really just kind of fell in love with the whole process. It was not exactly legal when we started, but um, it was always a passion of mine to to be involved in it. And you know, I just held on for so long and and and. and uh, lobbied and prayed that it would go legal and or give us an avenue when medical happened uh, gave us an avenue to get to get involved in it and uh, and then really take it legitimate business like we are today which has been awesome so yeah grew up in Sacramento so we're not like farmers out here but what we had we were like urban farmers you know so uh, I was also a general contractor so being a general contractor and and having to basically grow indoors was a kind of a good combination at that time. I learned a lot about electrical, a lot about you know how to build little grows at that time. Did that for a lot, like really through college and you know my early 20s. And then we got into some medical uh, cannabis in Sacramento. Sacramento was one of the earlier uh, cities in California to adopt a medical uh, ordinance. I think it was like number three. Uh, it was like only three cities that had really been okay with it. Hmm. So um, a group that was, was that involved, back in like 1996, late 90s. Uh, it was no, it was yeah, it was no, it was early mid 2000s. 
So okay. that's when uh, Sacramento allowed like the first part, first dispensaries, and they weren't really allowed. You literally would have to go get an application for like a miscellaneous business. But some people were doing things related to, to growing like flower business or something like a florist. They would get whatever business license they could, and you would go and get a license, uh, and you could go to the city, get a license, and you technically at that time could open a cannabis dispensary. Um, so we got oh, into wow. yeah. So we got into that. And then they, the city became really savvy of that process and <laughs> shut it down when they got to about 30. Then we basically got our license, went through the whole processing thing. And um, what was nice was it allowed us to focus on our commercial cultivation skills. Being a dispensary owner in Sacramento allowed us to do cultivation at a, at a small commercial level for this dispensary, right? And it was great. It was like you know, 2008, I believe. and we're able to start like sharpening our skills and, and learn what not to do and spend money we shouldn't have spent on equipment we shouldn't have bought, all that good stuff. So then basically I've taken it to now today, commercial cultivators here in Sacramento have like a wholesale brand that we sell a lot of wholesale flour uh, to a lot of other brands. Part of um, the co-founder of the Amplified Farms brand here in Sacramento with a really great group of guys, uh, some cultivators that have been working in Sacramento for 20 plus years. Which, uh, I mean, Amplified's one of like some cannabis cups, right? Yeah, we have That's actually. Awesome. We've got a, you know, probably half a dozen accolades in the cannabis, you know, cup world and a few runner-ups, I guess, or something. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's really good. What's done at Amplified Flowers just really, I don't want to say, it's just really handheld the whole way through, you know? Okay. That's some old school techniques as well, which I think brings that little special something mm. to uh, cannabis, which you can't quite get in the industrial what's, realm. What's the hand holding that you do at sort of the boutique level of growing? How does it, vary, how does it yeah. differ? Yeah, I think it's a lot about it. It's just like looking at every plant every day and being able to say something like, I don't like the way this is going or seeing something that you can maybe enhance about it uh, you could you know you're looking at your root zone obviously understanding and feeling the, the root zone with some with obviously with some data helps uh, to just you know, get that a little bit of more individual love to the to that plant uh, and I mean, that's something you just don't get on on a commercial level really greenhouse level you're gonna you know you're gonna get all really good high quality if you know what you're doing but it's uh, there's something special about like ripping off certain petioles and whatever and making a little bit more light for this plant that maybe maybe wasn't you weren't going to get at that other level almost like a bonsai tree right right yeah that's got to be a lot easier at a smaller scale than than a really big room how can you get your eyes on every single plant in a six thousand or ten thousand square foot room I, I can't even imagine the labor intensity of that or the attention that that would take you know I, i'll just say that that's something that i really appreciate about cannabis growers specifically is that I feel like the people who are cultivating cannabis really love the plant and that they're paying attention to the plant that that they want to nurture that plant and bring out the best of it um, whatever that is a color a, a taste a smell you know uh, all the all the good things uh, that you don't necessarily see it at commercial scale agriculture um, and obviously, you know, cannabis is is becoming larger. Uh, more money is coming in, and uh, more it's it's becoming more commercial and large scale. 
Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, I know that your, some of your newer facilities have bigger rooms, uh, maybe not quite as, as big a scale as uh, some of the 100,000 square foot facilities that we're starting to see or larger. Um, how do you compete with some of those bigger growers? Uh, do you, are you concerned? about that or do you feel like you guys pr produce such a high quality product that you know they're sort of on the periphery and aren't really competition to you? So I will answer your last question first. As far as com uh, competition goes, there's so much information out there. There's so many talented growers. There's better architects, designers, engineers. There's access to people that you could never have 10 years ago. So now you can build facilities and you can manage grows, you can tap into different data, analyzing resources for substrate, for environment, for anything you want, that the standard of cannabis is gonna become just higher in, in general. Like, we're never gonna be able to like say, we outgrow, we, we have better product than the next guy. Cause that's all gonna, I believe that's just all leveling out really. Like uh, okay. it's gonna take a little longer for some groups to get there. And I'm not saying we're there, we still learn every, every day, but that's just, you know, part of like the accessibility and the legitimacy of cannabis now. We're just finding that it's, you know, like a lot of people have been wanting to get into the business and uh, it, whether it's an ancillary business or if it's, a, you know, directly in the business, but you know, engineers and art and accountants and architects and everybody else is bringing all their knowledge of the industry and just uh, and then like you have like the meter group that's bringing data to the you know and all these other groups that are bringing data from substrate and environment and have just been collecting it forever and agronomists now that have you know tissue samples from everywhere you know for the last three or four years really and that's just a lot of data so i just think it's going to standardize it's people associate um, people that decide not to associate uh, that want to say they have a secret sauce I think it's gonna like that's really where you're gonna start getting lapped you might you might lose time and, and money you mean the people who are not working with others is yeah. that what you mean that they're yeah, gonna get lapped yeah I think there's so much association or so much information out there through association that if like the more we all people want to get together the more we can just level up like the playing field of, of cannabis in general. IPM techniques, you know, it really is about business survival, right? Like I want every other cultivator to survive around here because we all become solid businesses. We all end up having develop associations where we can lobby and, you know, promote better tax rates and better overall business climate for our individual businesses help legitimize what the business that you're doing. Yeah, that's um, definitely been um, happening. I just, now I feel like we really need to just associate so we can come together, like set some standards. I mean, if, if all the businesses in Sacramento, cannabis businesses in Sacramento got together right now and associated and lobbied the city, we'd be probably one of the most biggest influencers in Sacramento, the capital of California. No, no doubt, you know, there's just, you know, we're, uh, I believe, right, the latest stat I read, we have 6,200 jobs in the region. Okay, so that's a little bit outside, but directly influence, all the money goes back to Sac Sacramento, really, it's, in a way, it's uh, tax-wise, all those, but 6,200 uh, jobs in the region, 10, over 10,000 jobs, you know, that reach, like, with an ancillary 
you know, a one-off like uh, engineers or accountants and things like right, that. Right. So you have all these other influence business businesses. So, and the projections on that are growing pretty impressively. That's really amazing because I feel like you know we're, we're talking obviously to cannabis growers, but we're also talking to other indoor growers of other of other crops. And one of the biggest benefits that's touted frequently is the economic potential of having urban farming, having indoor farming and greenhouses. And one of those, of course, is the jobs that it can bring uh, to a local community or city. And thinking about it in terms of cannabis with 6,200 or 10,000 jobs peripherally or, or directly is a really big impact, I have to believe. And I think also by you guys getting together and being successful together, you maintain those jobs, right? You maintain that economic growth and you're not just, you know, starting a cultivation facility and then failing because you're trying to do it alone and then you don't have those jobs and then people can say, look, that wasn't a real business. That wasn't a legitimate business. But by working together, you can make it really happen and sustain itself. I think that's awesome. I mean, how many cultivators, do you know how many cultivators there are in Sacramento or in our region? Is that I would say, if we're, I'm just going to go for indoor uh, okay. facilities. I, I think there's 25 uh, like like pretty significant operations. Um, what does that mean? Significant? I mean, I would say 10, like, yeah, like 30,000 square feet or so, okay. you know, pretty significant. And then I would, I know there's some that are like way, really big. You have some large, but I mean, I'm talking like specific indoor and then, you know, I think there's about 100 licenses in Sacramento area. Okay. I could be totally wrong. I remember when it was going on, it was about that. So, you know, you have smaller, like, smaller facilities. There's a lot of ways to maximize space these days, obviously. You can, right. you know, go vertical. You can, you can throw super high PPFD at it. You can do whatever you want. You could, uh, you could go crazy if you have the power and the, uh, and have the money. We have not found the limit with cannabis with how much PPFD we can give it. I can't yeah. even believe it. It's just so hungry for like, give me what you have and I'll eat it up. Yeah, I'm curious to see how some of these uh, recent test facilities are going to come out that I'm following right now. Yeah. Running in 1,800, 2,000. I mean, it's almost greenhouse quality, like lighting. So. Yeah. So to answer all, you had one other question before, I believe, and it was something about like, how do you, the size of the facilities or how do you compete, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think you could fill as many spaces as you can with cannabis, right? But it really comes down to, uh, so when it comes okay. to the size of facilities and how do you compete? When I like built some of our larger facilities, I was literally trying to compare it to, like, how do I compete with the greenhouse? Okay, what are greenhouses laid out? Greenhouses don't have walls in them, so why, why do I want to put a wall up in the middle of a greenhouse? Why not just do, you know, big, larger rooms? There's lots of reasons why you wouldn't do that now that I've done them, but there's lots of reasons why I would do them. You right? know that I'm going to make you come back to that yeah. and tell so, me why. <laughs> so I think like, so when you're competitively, I think it just comes down to internally how you run your business, how you're able to manage your rooms, how like energy efficient you can be, whether you know, you're know you integrated LED, whether you've integrated nutrient cost, and uh, most, impo most importantly, most the most important thing, environment. Yes, like, right? he said it. <laughs> I did not pay him to say that, everybody. <laughs> That's it, I'll tell you. I've become an expert on 
back end of, uh, of mechanical units and I shouldn't be. I know, but, we're asking growers yeah. to basically be facility engineers now. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I've been working on I didn't know what a dead man was a couple years ago, but now I <laughs> now you're an I know all about them and how to set them. I was just talking to someone who said that you were on the phone with him and you're like changing the dead man settings while you're on the phone. I love that. I love that. But I also feel bad for you because if we were in a commercial building, if we were in an office building or a hospital, we wouldn't be asking doctors right we wouldn't be asking like the project managers in an office to be going up to the roof and changing you know changing out compressors or fiddling with the dead band and the set points of of the hvac equipment but we're asking growers to do that we're asking the operators to be engineers and facility maintenance guys and um i don't know i think that's why i advocate a lot for more simple equipment yeah when possible because you know you guys have you guys want to be paying attention to the plants not necessarily trying to troubleshoot an HVAC system you know that shouldn't be your job I don't think right when you say simple system like enlighten us all please oh what like. a simple system is well let's start with not a central plant <laughs> okay yeah I've seen that one be built before? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've designed those before. We've troubleshooted those before and optimized them, helped design them. Um, and they are very complex systems, you know? I mean, you have packaged units, right, for the most part, yep. uh, serving your rooms. And yeah, they're complex, but everything is sort of all together. And you have one dashboard that you can play with the settings. And yeah, it's complicated in that. But now imagine if you had chillers and boilers and pumps and a cooling tower and valves and an air handling unit. All of a sudden, it just becomes exponential. What you have to operate and understand and set up and troubleshoot and optimize. Um, so unless you are a very big facility, you know, hundreds of thousands of square feet of canopy area, um, and have a facilities engineer on board, uh, maybe two, to have a, a, a day shift and a night shift. <laughs> what, compressors don't take a night off? Oh, yeah, right? Oh, my God. Talk <laughs> about compressors. My God, we are asking them to do so much work, aren't we? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, thanks for turning this back around on me, but... Um, <laughs> You know, package equipment is fairly simple, especially if it comes with an integrated control system that you can play with. And hopefully you have a good partner or a good rep in that manufacturer that will walk you through how to handle it and you can call and, and troubleshoot or optimize with or have an engineer like us who can help you with stuff like that. Um, but we've talked to growers too who stick with really sort of like commercial or residential equipment that you can buy at Home Depot because, okay, it's gonna fail, but at least I can then drive down the street and get a replacement, right? And so uh, for some, some growers, that's their risk management, is knowing that they can replace a part really easily, even though they know it's gonna fail every six months. So, you know, I don't know if that makes your life simpler. Um, for some growers, they might say that makes them their life simpler. And other growers might say it's a nightmare because they need 30 fan coil units for, you know, a thousand square foot room and they're replacing them all the time. So I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think you do know, which is good. Um, and that's 
uh, why we're here, I think. Part yeah. of it is uh, experience is a lot, right? So what I would add to that is make sure you have all spare parts around, multiple compressors, <laughs> yes. every valve that you think you might need, um, and then a an amazing mechanical contractor that is ready at any time of the day because it always happens on Friday at 5 p.m. and uh, Or it happens on Saturday night or, or the whenever. Of July or Christmas. Oh my gosh. Day. We had, like, I remember it amplified. It would always, like, we'd always have an issue and it would only happen on a holiday. And it, the issue may not have been mechanical related, but like all mechanical, it's just, there's other issues. It's just like one of those things, right? right? Like, it all, cannabis doesn't take naps. So, you know, for, like, it's just, if lights go out, doesn't mean everything's cool. The lights go out and your mechanical units go off. It, you've just created a, you a know, a swamp. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like the machines know when it's a holiday. You know, I, I think they're they're learning. <laughs> we talk about machine learning. I think so. I was yeah, I was talking with Jason uh, Jason Wade, who's our director of cultivation at Cultivated California, last week, and we were we were talking. I, I said we're gonna order a new. I'm gonna order a couple of new compressors. Like we just put our installed our last one, and I have a couple units I have this one brand of units that seems to blow compressors for fun all the time and I just happened to say to him it's like hey man we have it for our bedroom we we probably shouldn't have these units for our bedroom right but we have them for our bedroom and it's kind of oversized and I was like gosh it'd be nice if we can actually just turn one of those like units off maybe we should just turn one of those units off and just run in the fan only you know like it'll take a little you know like a little less energy and it's already like it's not a big enough load in that room. It's a bedroom. We want to try to raise the humidity in there a little bit or not have it dehumidify so much. He called me an hour later and goes, hey, man, you're never going to believe this. He's all Compre compressor number two blue and in, in DH6, which is the unit for that yeah. that room. So was, he's like, so I guess our, uh, we're all good. <laughs> uh, now we're down to you know one one unit in that room. That one unit has two compressors on it, but the other two have already oh gone. So God. now I get to replace the whole skid. So keep parts on uh, on site and make sure you're, you're, it's so important to have a good mechanical contractor. One of the things when people ask me like, what are you, how are you building your grow room? What can you tell me one thing? And I say the same thing every time. Don't skimp on mechanical. It's just the science. It's like everything about it. If you want your days to go smoother, don't skimp on mechanical. Now I've bought super expensive mechanical units and they've given me lots of problems, but I know that the, at least it's high quality equipment and uh, we can work we can work with that and we can work through it um, but just don't don't skimp on mechanical don't try to save a ton here and there um, just work with an engineer get it sized correctly and um, your life will be so much so much easier yeah I would say that a lot of our clients come to us after they've had pains with an existing facility and now they're expanding or they're going to be building a new facility in a new location and they've realized that it's the HVAC system, it's the environmentals that should drive everything else in the design of their facility. It should drive the type of building they choose, it should drive the footprint of the building, it should drive how they irrigate, how they think about lighting, how they think about the placement of that lighting. You know, if they're gonna have a lot of property around the building, if they're gonna have a strong roof, where they're gonna put things, you know, they, they realize 
Oh yeah, HVAC is important. You know, early, um, we're celebrating the fifth year anniversary of Dr. Greenhouse, January 1st. Bravo. Which is super exciting. And um, I mean, I honestly had a project one time where they budgeted $25,000 for a control system and $5,000 for the HVAC system. And my first response was, and what are you gonna control with that $25,000? Like, not the HVAC system because you're probably going to Home Depot for a $5,000 system and it's not gonna do a whole lot for you. Except they might have been on the right track, just not. Maybe. <laughs> they didn't know what mechanical units cost for. Because, yeah, exactly. Yeah, controls are important. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, they understood so. that controls are important. How budgeting even has changed uh, in terms of, you know, lights are so apparent right we see lights and people understand that light is important for photosynthesis to grow plants and i think they take it they a lot of people have sort of taken for granted how important the temperature and humidity and of course carbon dioxide is to grow those plants in combination with the lights you just gave them if you just blast your plants with lights but you don't have the right temperature or co2 level you're, you know, you're hitting the accelerator in one place and you're hitting the brake in another place and your plants just aren't going to grow very well or as well as they could. Right. It's funny you say that because we have a, a, a term when we're growing and, uh, and Jason coined it. He says it's full gas pedal or like 75. He's like, you know, no, this room we can only take a 75% gas pedal because an environmental issue or you know, plants didn't quite maybe, you know, take off how they were, but we always have, like, it's kind of, we always refer to it as gas pedal. Where are we in that gas pedal? And uh, nice. to run 100% gas pedal is, uh, you gotta be humming, and um, things can change awful quickly, and we'll have a term that we use in our softball, or like any sports I play these days. It's 75%, uh, 100% of the time. Maybe that has something to say with how you should be running your grow rooms because most groups are just not dialed enough to run the 100%, you know, all the time. You've really got to have everything nailed down. And But guys, people want to feed like it's 100 or they want to pump CO2 like it's It's yeah. just kind of like there's got to find that balance, right? You like what, what, works for your, what works for your group. And um, if you have an environment that's super dialed, you can really get that gas pedal up there. Yeah. I love that you're saying this because... You know, every plant has its sort of optimized point for temperature, light, and CO2, where we know that increasing the CO2 increases photosynthesis, increasing the light level increases photosynthesis, increasing the temperature increases photosynthesis, but it all happens together. And then once you exceed some limit, then it starts to, to fall off. And, you know, what I see with cannabis growers is that they hit a really high PPFD. They're pumping the room with, you know, 1,500 parts per million of CO2. And then they're hitting the brake and only running at, you know, 73 or 75 degrees temperature. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, you have these big numbers over here. And then you're just slowing everything down with this temperature. But then... You know, I think about, well, yeah, you're, you know, the cannabis plant might be optimized at 80 or 82 degrees, but all the pains that you have, even that you've just described with the HVAC system, if you're running at 75 degrees and a compressor goes down, you have, right, you have a little cushion there where the temperature can rise and you're not going to be heat stressing the plant before you can take an action. But if you're already running at 100%, 
you're already running at 80 or 82 degrees where it's most optimal. If a compressor fails, you are now in a stress condition immediately. And so I totally respect having this lower temperature just to give yourself a cushion, right? Just in case. Um, but, you know, so, but does that mean that maybe we should be at a slightly lower PPFD or CO2 so that you're optimized, so we're not just using energy or just using carbon dioxide just for the sake of it? But, you know, this is where we need some, some research, where we need more than just sort of anecdotal evidence or just talk, right? Um, and, and all of you guys have so much experience and I just want to see that get out there more in, in sort of um, an experimental way where we can actually point at a dot on a graph and say this is, you know, how well your plants are going to photosynthesize or yield or grow at these different conditions. And we just don't have that yet, unfortunately. So let me ask you, I mean, we're talking about all these different variables and something that's really cool about your different facilities and I mean, we've been, I've known you for what, about four years now. Um, it was yeah. like in the first few months of me starting Dr. Greenhouse and I visited your very, you know, a few of your different facilities a few different times. And one of the things that really sticks with me is that you have tried growing cannabis under different lights different HVAC equipment, different substrates, different irrigation delivery methods. I mean, you've tried a lot of things. First, I wanna ask, why did you try all these different things? And the follow-up question to that is, what did you like or not like about the different ways? Did you try something and then revert back to the original way or a different way that you were doing before? So you want to know about guinea pig farms, is what you're asking. <laughs> so, uh, so, all right, why we change? Because we, there isn't really a book for this when we started doing uh, cannabis. Uh, we could bring, occasionally you could bring a professional like yourself in, but even this is before. And even then there was just like very limited data. So we were the data. We were like the ones creating the data in indoor environments, okay? Or we're like specifically, not outdoor. I mean, it's uh, that's just a whole other, whole nother thing that I mad respect for and don't know anything really about and I would probably not do well outdoors but what I do know is indoors we we have to keep moving forward we have to keep being progressive we have some benefits here in Sacramento that have been awesome so our local utility smud has been awesome to work with once they saw cannabis going into the mainstream and they did not shy away they've actually were uh, very good to work with they actually helped us on a um, a project that was a kind of a grant thing um, I'm not sure how they want to put it but uh, it was really interesting they asked us to research some LED lighting and so we did a one-on-one -on -one comparison of LED light LED room and a HPS room and put mirrored data put some Aon units on the roof um, matched the equipment and the lighting and everything and Cadmus out of Oregon came and monitored it and got all this data back and it was really really rad and I imagine they went to a lot of other growers and asked them if they would do this, right? But we were, you know, I, for me personally, it was just, it was finally awesome to start, you know, getting some recognition. It was a very validating point for our company to go through to have our local utility company come to us and say, hey, we recognize like where this industry is going. We recognize you guys. We want to, you know, see where you guys can take this. So how about go pick out some LED lighting? 
uh, in, you know, and so we went and picked out um, some LED. I basically just tore down an HPS room and rebuilt. It was it happened to be identical size of the other room. Tore it down, contacted Fluence Bioengineering. I'd say they were one of the early team like companies in the in the industry in the LED market. So we grabbed them. It was really great to see this test side by side thing. Somebody broke into the place at the end of the test and stole half the crop. But like, oh my God. <laughs> regardless, we we ran it. We learned a ton, SMUD learned a ton, and therefore, you know, we kept just moving it. I honestly thought we were gonna grab these LED lights and I was like, hey, worst case scenario, I can use them for veg lights, right? Like, it's LED. I didn't really know about Spectrum at that time and how that, but it didn't really matter. It, it was a great experience. It made us just keep moving, right? Like, keep changing, keep hmm. becoming different. Um, I've always, uh, I'm a builder, right? Like, so I've, I've built lots of different grow rooms and homes and all kinds of stuff and they all can be done a little bit different way and uh, I look at cannabis as such in its infancy that if you don't keep moving and trying different techniques that you're just gonna get stuck and so I flaw and I love it I love it for morale and for like everybody that's involved in it just keep on finding like little differences um, now what I have learned is don't do them on a whole room all the time and uh, and if you can find a smaller place to gamble but uh <laughs> but honestly we wouldn't be where we are without trial and error and a lot of error and we've all burned a lot of crops up and that is part of how we got where we're at you know we know now a lot less we know a lot of ways how not to burn a crop so um that is and that from what I've, my yeah. friend associate jb says uh they who burn crops the least you know normally can sell your weed. <laughs> it's sort of a process of elimination. And, um, you know, I, I honestly wish that growers, farmers of, of, of every crop, you know, this whole idea of like sort of competition versus collaboration, you know, we see it in cannabis and we see it with vertical farming that there's sort of this tension, right? It's like farmers and growers want to build themselves up and, and create this new industry and be legitimate, but they see each other as, as competition and don't want to share a secret sauce necessarily. We sign a lot of NDAs, you know, people thinking that they're doing something different when they're not necessarily. But I wish that these indoor growers would if nothing else just say don't do this you don't have to say what is great and fantastic for you if that's like your secret sauce or your secret recipe or you know whether it's lights or nutrients or vpd or whatever but even if you could just with the process of elimination just say here's some lessons we learned don't do it this way we're not going to tell you how to do it we're just going to say what not to do that, that I feel like would even help move our indoor agriculture industry forward more quickly. Um, and you know, what's so cool about what you guys did with that SMUD study is it is still seriously one of the only case studies on the on cannabis cultivation in this country. Wow. I mean, and you guys did this, what, like three or four years ago? That's right. And we're still waiting for the next one to happen. I mean, you guys were so ahead of your time. SMUD was so ahead of their time. And I know that we have read uh, those papers, those reports a couple of times. Um, 
and you know there's things that we would do a little differently they even recognized some of the problems with the study probably one of which was not being able to get yield data because <laughs> your facility was broke by the way i have to ask was it the led room or the high pressure sodium room? it was the led room it was a bummer it was the first room right when they walk oh, in man. yeah and it was it was only a small section but like that's all you need to like screw up a, a data yeah. you know test and that's what it was. And, Is you know, it because the 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 flower was so good that they yeah, that's probably like... what it was. No, it was uh, <laughs> smash and grab. They were in and oh, out of there in man. 20 minutes. It was just a mess. But no, like that. Right away, we saw something we didn't expect to see with 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 those LEDs. We just saw different colors and kind of different terp profile. I'm not even sure if we called it terp profile back then. Uh, <laughs> it was just you just start seeing something. You know, like, hey, I think these things might my, my jam. Like, look at the size of these buds. Like, put your hand right here. Nothing's cold or nothing's hot, you know? Like, it was a pretty cool experience uh, to go through. And therefore, as I've been really monitoring the uh, LED world and if just being and just looking at efficiencies in general uh, with energy, um, Sacramento's a unique place. We have SMUD. We have a nonprofit that runs our, you know, yeah. our local energy. So we're able to get very affordable uh, power and we have affordable real estate and really good people with good vibes. It's a good place to grow indoor cannabis. That's awesome. Let me ask you a question just on the indoor production front. Why grow indoors? I mean, you mentioned that you probably couldn't grow outdoors if you tried, but I mean, just in general for the industry, um, why do you think there are so, so many indoor cannabis cultivation facilities? What are the benefits? What are the downsides of growing indoors? If you could grow outdoors, would you? Okay, that was a different I don't, question. You, yeah, that's a, that's a tough that question has. because I'm sure if I grew up growing outdoors, that's how I'd want to grow. Okay. And yeah, it's a pretty rough use of energy. Um, granted, we do you know subscribe to green energy from SMUD which is done by solar and then, uh, or not solar, but uh, wind and solar, I think is yeah. kind of how they do that. So you can pay a little extra and be part of that in Sacramento, which is kind of cool. Um, so I would say number one benefit, or number one reason that drives indoor cultivation in California is actually the consumer. So what we have done in California has, we've had super sophisticated set of indoor growers that have been producing indoor cannabis kind of in a medical market relatively freely for the last 15 years before that you know you have lots of cities and stuff and there's lots of open terrain but it's just it's a it, you it's just a difference so what we've done we've actually like created a very sophisticated cannabis connoisseur in california yeah so I mean, anybody at this table, whether you smoke <laughs> cannabis or not, could basically look at a nug and say that's different than that other one. And so that, that's what you get, right? You get like an outdoor, amazing cannabis, but just something about that indoor, creating that environment, stabilizing that environment, repeating that on an everyday basis, tweaking it just a little bit, having that ability to do that without an outside influence is just it just changes things so we're like a lot of businesses are trying to create the same thing or enhance that 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 great thing just a little bit every single time right but like really creating the same same thing and uh an environment outdoors i imagine that can be kind of difficult um indoors we can we can do it 
I will comment on, I do think there's a, a little bit too much indoor and outdoor cannabis production going on in California. I think we need to look at that, you know, like as a, and I, and I think the state is, but you know, they should have just been, we, Oregon went through this already, you know, kind of bottomed out the market up there. A lot of businesses didn't make it. You know, same thing's gonna happen here is, uh, seems like they were just, you know, if you had the right amount of money and you could, you could just go out there and build whatever size farm you wanted to do, indoor or outdoor. And uh, I saw this happen with other small industry businesses, you know, they kind of um, cut each other out. Like they, I don't want to say, use a, to have a negative word here, but they basically all undercut everybody so much that they like, they all just end up going out of business, right? And I'm not saying, cannabis wow. is going to go and the businesses are going to do that but it's just something to watch out for right like we should be regulating it in a way that we allow the businesses that are existing to be successful you know i'm not asking for people to not to be involved i'm just saying i'm more worried about that overproduction than i am about like other growers outgrowing us or you know out better quality or anything else i, I think that that's just something that needs to be looked at very seriously in california I mean, we still have a pretty big black market here in California, I'm guessing, for a few reasons, maybe shipping to other states illegally or because taxes are so high, like who wants, who, you know, if, if we were in Sonoma or Mendocino or Humboldt County, why would I go to a dispensary and spend 60 bucks on an eighth when I can just buy it from my neighbor or grow it myself and get it for 30 bucks, right? I have an answer for that. Oh, please, yes. For years and years and years, cannabis growers have been growing for their certain techniques for a long time, however they saw fit. Now, I'm not saying the state of California has got it perfectly right, but I would hesitate to uh, smoke cannabis that's not tested. And honestly, I like I just especially for someone who may have like maybe reaching here. I I don't want to. I know a lot of like growers roll their eyes and everything. I had bad practices before I knew what I was supposed to be, like before I was given some guidelines, okay? I've been a cultivator forever and there was some shit I didn't know about. And if you're saying, if you're listening to this right now and you're a cultivator and you're saying that you've never had bad practice, you've never put something on there or had a bad, it's just, it's very, you're very, you're one of the rare ones, right? It's just, uh, we didn't know. We were putting things, using cannabis, using dirty genetics that may have had, you know, things in them that we didn't know about, getting clones from people. It's just whatever, there was no, so what has happened in California is it's it's really cleaned up the uh, the back end of the supply chain, which means like the flour that hits the market, like it's 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 good. It's overly scrutinized cannabis, right? <laughs> it's not like what they do in Canada, which is like radiated or something. But it's it's like it's very clean. Um, you know, it's provided safe. It's been tested for molds that don't really matter to me, but uh, um, but like overly tested, right? Like and uh, and it's and I think it's it's good because I know people are gonna be getting safe product. And I never really yeah, thought about it back in the day right. like as much, but I do, because I used to smoke whatever, right? And yeah, uh, now I'm pretty cautious. I'm pretty lot. cautious, <laughs> yeah. Like uh, I was at a festival like a couple years ago before COVID and uh, a guy like was at a booth and he like handed me a joint and he said, uh, here man, it's just joint. And I was like, oh, like what was this, you know, like just asked him like, where's it from? And he's like, I don't know. And I was just like, oh. He's like, well, you should ask that question next time. <laughs> He's like, why? And I told him the same thing I just told you, but in a quicker yeah. version. He goes, oh my God, no one has ever told me that before. 
it, it just, wow. and I'm not saying that, it's just be careful. Like there's stuff on there that it acts different when, you know, when these certain chemicals get put into cannabis, these are chemicals that are meant to be put on, even if they're organic, they're meant to be put on foods that you eat and consume and bypass, right? Like you eat a tomato and it goes through your body and it just kind of flushes everything out. When you turn, when you smoke a pesticide and you actually put flame on it and it switches it into a carcinogen or, you know, something worse, a straight poison, you like can have an, it could be, you know, probably not good for you in the long term. And I'm probably guilty of having that in my lungs as well because I wasn't paying attention. Sorry, that's my two cents on that. I think everybody at this table is just uh, sitting here uh, with their jaw on the table. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I did a webinar recently with a cannabis grower and a vertical farmer. And the cannabis grower starts talking about all the lab tests that you guys have to go through. And the vertical farmer who grows lettuce, right? And he his, also his jaw, you can see like just a gape. And he's like, we don't have to go through any of that testing mm. for lettuce, for what people are consuming every single day. Every single consumer is eating a salad or a hamburger or a sandwich or, you know, it in their burrito or whatever. And he's like, how do you I mean he literally asked how do you guys do that like how do you guys incur that cost he was just amazed he'd never heard this before with the cannabis industry and it's just it's so interesting because you know I've I've touted how cannabis has driven so much in terms of technology development for indoor farming in general whether it's LED lighting or HVAC systems or irrigation or controls because you guys have the money uh, to invest in new technologies where if you grow a lettuce plant you don't have a lot of money right you don't right. have <laughs> you're not making you don't have a big bottom line you have really thin margins there uh, and but it's you know cannabis has helped drive improvements in these technologies and it makes me wonder how much like track and trace of cannabis how much the lab testing of cannabis is going to trickle down or trickle through our food system in general oh well right i mean it's it's so fascinating so yeah look out i've been really impressed with some of our clients both in you know you know traditional horticultural crops and cannabis who have their own on-site lab testing because they want to know before they send it out to a lab if it has e coli or if it has powdery mildew because either they're going to destroy it or they're going to, you know, treat it or let some chemical off gas first, or, you know, whatever it is, and, and let the product settle or decide that they're going to destroy it before they get a negative test. Um, and that really impresses me that growers are being very driven by the quality that they put out to the market, right, first to the lab and then what's gonna get out to the consumer. Because just like with cannabis, with, with every agricultural crop, as soon as there's an E. coli outbreak on spinach, that doesn't just affect the field spinach growers, that's going to affect the indoor spinach growers, like the whole industry. And so whatever you can do to prevent an outbreak is gonna help everyone, or at least not hurt everybody. So 
we've spent a lot of time and I really appreciate uh, this conversation. I feel like we could talk about a lot of different topics. What have you seen in the industry overall through your network here or just, you know, countrywide, statewide, North America wide, internationally that creates some optimism uh, for the future? What are you excited about? Uh, developing in the industry where do you see it going like what gets you excited all right so what gets me excited about the industry <laughs> I, I think I feel like most of the excitement already happened but no I mean it is <laughs> it's been an excite it has it it's been a really exciting last five years um, we all came from underground roughly somewhat underground cultivation and everything else that we're doing to getting licensed and bank accounts and all kinds of stuff right you know i know that's a yeah, big word right about yeah at all. so yeah. i mean and, and so what i guess that's that leads me into the next thing is, is is now having the rest of the nation and the rest of all these businesses that we work with just to be part of this right so i remember like i was like had a alarm company back in the day back in the day of dispensary day and they were they said called me one day and they're like sorry we can't can't service your account anymore and this is like a normal like you've heard every day this alarm company right and we're just like we're a, you can't put an alarm and like just service our alarm he's like yeah came from corporate like we can't work with cannabis companies anymore and you're just oh, like oh yeah. another door shut so i guess i constantly have had that happen business business bank accounts blah 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 right um, having to work in within our own ecosystem right like finally starting to open up like we're like accepted in the ag industry a little bit now right like so we're we're kind of legitimized by those by those guys businesses around us are open to doing work I mean, we haven't broken into everything you know but um, I'm really excited to see how we integrate as a normal businesses and, and you know and are treated the same so hmm. i will also say and we're also taxed the same right because if you look at our town our sacramento yeah we all signed up to get into this we would take whatever we they gave us at that time and you know reflecting on it now it was you know it was great opportunity but the amount we pay for local licensing fees the amount we pay for state licensing fees and then now four percent on everything and then the people get hit at the back end in the in the, the retail it's just it's just now it just comes down to we just need to be treated like everyone else like a lot of the other businesses um, I think we've kind of broke through made every you know let's face it we paid the extra four percent and all these other things so they could like convince people to vote for it right like this is what we're gonna do we're gonna like take all this we're just gonna it's just a little bit uh, it's a little bit much and as the industry starts to tighten up we just need to associate and make sure we're um, helping get this down to normal I'm not saying don't pay anything I'm just saying it's gonna tighten up for everyone um, and we need to make sure we're all on the same page so the association I will say again like I'm not asking you to join a certain association at all but I'm just saying associate with your grower your local businesses or your uh, your businesses that you work with uh, manufacturing everybody else because we always have to get on the same page so we can make this thing work and have the same message I mean on that note Sacramento I feel like it's so special in that the growers seem to have a really tight network 
or at least a lot of the growers. Uh, you guys collaborate, you guys get together, uh, you mentioned the word lobby, you work together towards certain issues. I mean, why do you think, why do you think that is? What is special about Sacramento and, and how can cannabis growers in other sort of um, regions uh, emulate what, what you guys are doing here in Sacramento? I think Sacramento started with small indoor grows, okay? And there was this weird network of people that you, you, you kind of connected with, and um, it's also a small city. We're bigger than a town now, right? Yeah. So, uh, so I think what happened, these small network of growers, you know, some of them got an opportunity to go into the commercial cannabis world, right? And someone always knows someone in Sacramento, and that helped with basically creating more of a, a flow through the different businesses. Granted, I think a lot of the information in our industry in Sacramento for cultivators didn't share directly from grower to grower, but it actually, it actually transferred through contractor to contractor because really? yeah so and my contractors I'm not going to name them but a lot of the mechanical electrical guys in town have been doing everybody's all the all the main yeah, cultivators sure. forever yeah. right they see what works and they don't want to see their clients fail right so in a way they're always like going to guide you to the right thing or get better at what they do and show hey we're doing this now so I would say like that that was like a huge network that the probably never recognized so thank you uh you know my uh, the guys I've worked with forever, and you guys know who you are. It's just been, it's been a real super helpful. Um, granted, we do have growers that do connect. There's a high level of indoor cultivation uh, been happening in Sacramento for 20 plus years, and I think that has a direct influence. And also just being able to share that those genetics and share that technique and stuff like that has been super helpful. <laughs> Another undervalued Absolutely. resource, right? Mechanical contractors, you know, mechanical electric contractors, you like pretty much don't skip on those guys. They are, uh, they're, the, they're the, the glue for sure. And they'll probably teach you something about uh, how to, you know, build a grow. <laughs> so consult with them before you just consult with an architect, right? Like always, like what you said earlier, you know, mechanical, like people are just like, oh, I'm just going to put units wherever. No, you can't because some of them weigh a lot and you can't put them on roofs and some take need to be, you know, just however you want to do it. You just got to look at your property, whatever you're trying to grab uh, or, or build and look at all the, all the variables. So um, I would say that's the first person you want to, you want to call because mechanical equipment is also big it and is. bulky and uh, it can be small and it can be small and out of your way as well. But um, that's, you know, that's a perfect scenario. Yeah, I know we, we really like it when uh, we're working on projects that have a mechanical contractor on board early in the project because they can help answer some questions about constructability, about accessibility uh, to the equipment, um, and uh, are a great resource. Uh, great people to work with in general. Okay, you know what? Here, I'm gonna ask you this question first. What do you love about cannabis? Well, that's not on a notebook. <laughs> uh, uh, so what I love about cannabis in the very like beginning was just the like, culture that brought me around. People are attracted to like-minded people, kind people. Just I think that that's a big 
part of why I loved cannabis because it, it would just it put me around that. I, I mean, I I would like to say I I mean I did it for probably survival purposes when I was young, but I mean there was something more there, you know. Like it's just like I Friday night I would be fine going and chopping a crop down than rather than going out and you know hanging out with uh, you know going to bars or whatever. It's just like this different, you know. I like that's. It's, uh, it's something I've always just really been attracted to. I love the different ways it grows and smells, the different ways it reacts when you put it in different environments. I just, I, you know, I like the way it makes me feel. Like, that's pretty good. I like that it's all the different varieties. I mean, think about if, you know, you were to, like, you can't do this with any other plants, really, all the stuff we do with it. It's, uh, and I love how it's pushing everything, right? Like, yeah. so, Cannabis right now, growing indoors, you get companies like all these, you know, Fluence and Philips and all these guys now that are investing so much money into LED. There's only one reason they're investing money into LED. There's only one industry that makes it spend money. And, it, and uh, it, so like we really were able to push this into, and, and the, the benefit, the byproduct is going to be what it does for the next the supply chain of food and different things we look at you know all of a sudden now you have vertical farms that are able to produce in tight spaces and urban cultures you know all this good stuff you have all that benefit that's going to come from it and um, all this competition from these big companies putting all these lighting together it's going to make it eventually affordable and uh, second gen stuff is going to be like you know really affordable for all kinds of different options so i think i like that part about it and I like, I already said people, right? I do like people. It tends to be good people. It tends to attract good people. Yeah, it does, you know? And then the ones that don't sure stand out. I mean, I just, I'm not, I don't like to bring up anything bad. I just, like, it just seems like, you know, if you have a bad rap in the cannabis industry, it, it, like everybody, like it doesn't take long for everybody to figure it out, you know? Like you just don't make a cut, you know? And people mm -hmm. don't want to work with you anymore. So, uh, so it seems to kind of, work itself out a little bit, thin people, thin, thin out. What else do I love about cannabis? I, I love that it allowed me to be a commercial grower and a, now, a, now a business enthusiast, right? I guess that was how I call it because really it's, it's business. We have company with payroll and health insurance and all kinds <laughs> of stuff and like we're legitimate and uh, the dream came true, really. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, um, even just on your own. I, I, I don't even know what kind of question you can ask about cannabis in a way. Like, I want to ask you, when did you grow your first cannabis plant? But I'm like, oh, <laughs> is that a quagmire kind of question? Like, am I allowed to ask that question? Um, oh, you ask my parents. They would tell you. Okay. <laughs> but it was <laughs> literally <awesome>. so... <laughs> friend of mine had a cannabis or had some like I told you earlier uh, had some cannabis around them in their in like their backyards and stuff and so when I was like 15 16 years old just kind of saw like how it was grown and salt you know just whatever so I was fascinated by it didn't even smoke it at that time just like fascinated by like there's a this thing there was like this I don't know secrecy about it and whatever else I, so that's what I was attracted to as a kid sure. so I went and bought like uh, a marijuana uh, Ed Rosenthal's Bible did you? Uh, the the Mar marijuana handbook, I believe. Nice. Marijuana's guide handbook. So yeah, and that became that's I just started researching a bunch of information on that, and um, so I got some like seeds from the plant, my buddy's plant, and I took a black light. This is what this is what kids know. Uh, I took a black light, put it in my closet, 
and put a seed oh my in God, a pot. I remember those days. And freaking tried to like, and I was like, why is this thing not growing? And then my dad like rolled in one day and was like, what is in your closet? I think I was 16 or 15 at that time. You know, I think there were cannabis connoisseur or like, or they smoked a little bit of cannabis. Um, enthusiast. Enthusiast, right? right. But it, you know, geez, that was in the 90s and things were like really sketchy and everything oh, else. So I uh, imagine they, you know, um, must have been pretty difficult back then. But uh, yeah, so that was kind of the first the first thing. And, <laughs> and then I think I grow. moved out. I moved out, moved into an apartment immediately. Again, we were not in the country. We're in the urban Sacramento, California. And so I had an apartment. And matter of fact, Jason and I, we like put a, a 600 watt or a thousand watt in a closet and built a aeroponic little thing. Did you? Yes, my first thing was aeroponics, <laughs> yes, which was which awesome. was wild. It was a uh, two by four tray with uh, misters and a reservoir and GH. And we would mist, we had these little cubes and we'd mist these cubes and the roots would come flying out and just hang in the suspension and air. And that was my first experience cultivating my own cannabis. And there were these cool little like, I mean the strains, gosh, I wish I had them still. They were like the all time classics. Basically, uh, it was like an aeroponic thing and you know, learned, started there and oh built hundreds of different things from, from that. Why don't concept. you grow aeroponics now? So, Do you grow a very big plant, do you think? If you have chillers and the right, you know, flowable water is kind of dangerous. That's what I've noticed. Uh, it's just like, you got to keep things real, real clean, right? If you're going to have like open tray irrigation or ebb and flow or whatever else, you have to have a real clean environment in a commercial atmosphere. Um, it's better to keep your water contained from what I can hmm. say, like just from seeing how pathogens move around and yeah, different things. Yeah. Do you garden? Do you grow any other plants at home or anything? Or do you just dream of no, I've always, tomatoes? No, I've always grown tomatoes and cucumbers and vegetables in my backyard. Okay. And my, I mean, it is my dad right? did and my nanny yeah. did, you know, like everybody, like generation wise. Unfortunately, the house I'm in right now doesn't have a great, it has some redwoods around it. Oh, those too kill, much shade. Those just, those just jack up any, yeah. anybody, any real farmers dreams right there redwoods they're not very good they just block too much light so I want to ask you a question from two different perspectives what would you tell your younger self like what have you learned over the years of growing cannabis commercially that you wish you could tell your younger self or tell maybe a new grower um, but I also kind of want to ask because you've been kind of playing tinkering with growing this plant you know since you were a teenager what do you think your younger self would tell you today about growing the plant? I would say designate an R&D location. Don't create your location to be an R&D location. <laughs> Literally, if you want to try something, create, build, build, you know, build two rooms, run your one room the way you want it, run the other one however you can. I mean, integrating those techniques, trying new strains, doing whatever, all that stuff is what I'm talking about real and then really like pushing you know moisture levels and and substrate and different things like that just keeping that separate right like like just don't mess with that with your regular bread and butter because it'll you know mm -hmm. I mean you don't know what you're gonna I get still doesn't, right? I don't know if I you know just saying because like things were tough like it was hard I didn't you know I used every bit of money that I had that I earned into reinvesting into you know doing it over again and doing it over again and living harvest to harvest and 
every grower knows what that means and that's what you had to do is you lived harvest to harvest so that's one of the things i would say i feel like i damn i did i like the way we failed a lot right so like those are like most of the places people would change most of their fail points right like i screwed up on this i screwed up on that but it's like every time again we we screwed up we learned a lot and i know that gets old people like say that's a shitty way to go through it or not the way to learn but i just think that that is the that's the best way to learn is for, failure, for me it was the it? it was the it, it's what i felt the most and i always let whoever was working with uh whoever was the growers or my partners or whatever it was you know like not one to come down on someone super hard for flooding you know 5,000 square feet of, uh, of with, you know, wow. 2,000 gallons of water. It's like, learn from it. Like, how, what can, you know, I mean, it happens, you know? Like, so, you know, torching a crop, spraying something, the lights on, whatever it may have been, you know? Uh, all right, log that in. Yep. Like, do you feel it? Okay, cool. Because that hit your pocket and my pocket. And not only that, just like our success of our next, you know, run is going to be better. For, for, for not having to make that same mistake twice. So I'm uh, pretty comfortable with most of the decisions um, and, and failures we've had over time. Everything's kind of Your learning. Your employees are lucky to have you, I awesome. would say. Yeah. Have you found that finding, finding good growers or good employees has been hard? I feel like in, especially, you know, in agriculture in general, there is sort of this, I don't know, this growth of interest in farming and locally grown and having connection to your food and to the, you know, what you're consuming. But there's a huge bottleneck in terms of finding experienced or educated people who can grow a plant, who sort of apply the scientific method where they try something, observe and, you know, make a decision based off of that. Have you found have you found it challenging to find good growers and good help in your in your operations, or have you? I think it's gonna get more difficult. We're going to get. Yeah, I do. A lot of it comes from. I think finding good team members is basically built around an ecosystem. You look within that ecosystem first, right? And you vet them through the, everyone you know, and that's how. Like that's the. We're fortunate enough to have that ability to find talent like that, right? Like that's gonna run out, right? It, it seems that it may be more difficult mm. to find people now than it was originally when we were starting to build up. I just think that, you know, you have all these new businesses popping up in Sacramento and um, that's mainly our talent pool comes from and you're gonna have competition. You're gonna have people offering different solutions and benefits and things like that. It's just like any industry, it's just gonna start getting, the, you know, People are gonna go after what they can get, you know? And I totally agree with them. So I wanna stay on it, make sure we have good ability to, you know, share with our uh, with our team and make sure we're not leaving, making anybody feel like they're not appreciated, you know? So that's yeah. it. So we gotta stay competitive, you know? Like that's really what it'll come down to. Uh, but I don't, I've had been, I've been real lucky. Uh, we've had roots here in Sacramento for a long time. So that's where I think it's helpful. If I was popping into a new city, I'm sure it'd be more difficult. Be hard, yeah. yeah. So I've started asking all our growers um, in an official or unofficial capacity, what metric do you use to measure productivity? 10 what? pounds of light. 
Ten uh, pounds, oh God, please uh, don't say no, that. So <laughs> it's, for me, it's quality. Quality. That's, that's the key. Measuring the productivity is kind of a difficult thing. I look at it, I, I weigh a lot of factor on making sure everybody has is set up for success, right? In a way, it, a lot of it comes back down to me making sure I'm putting the right systems in place, the right people in place, and, and a lot of times I, I haven't, right? So I haven't always put the right mechanical equipment in. So we get to dance around that and the environmental thing for a while. A lot of, sometimes it comes down to money, sometimes it comes down to just like making a decision, right? And so and I, I imagine different strains are productive in different ways too, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's all about the decisions we make on the front end to be more successful in the back end, right? So productivity can be measured in so many different ways. I'm going to always push for quality over quantity. I'm going to look at making sure staff is appreciated, everybody involved in it is happy and successful. I'm going to look at yeah, just putting those systems in place to make sure that we can be successful. Um, I'm going to look at, unfortunately, it's probably the worst part about me and uh, why I don't have, I'm not surrounded by CFOs and COOs and all that stuff is because uh, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't at this time focus as much on monetizing of this business or how much money we can get for a certain product. Um, so you know, the just, question I should have asked you then is how do you measure success? Yeah, that's just happiness you know hmm. like that i know that's a cheesy cliche thing to say you probably could ask me that in five years it might be different but for right now we're really happy to be where we're at you know and again super excited that the industry has become legitimized and that we're able to go to events and sponsor things and have parties that we can have like our um, different industry associates around I think that's all it's just all part of the the, the path and, and now, now being just surrounded by even like people to help us get to where we need to be right which is just keep moving the needle keep changing keeping keep producing like really nice indoor cannabis and um, and you know how to do it for the most efficient and highest quality so you're not a grams per square foot per year kind of guy I have not yet done the grams per square foot per yield per day or year day, harvest. Uh, <laughs> we look at overall productivity of a room in a whole. Um, there's so many different ways to light a room. There's, there's lots of different ways of size of plants, how many plants, what type of lighting, if you're stacked, if you're not. I mean, there's so true. There's, there's lots of ways to look at it. We're just looking at it, doing the best we can. And again, producing high quality cannabis because they're like really I can grow really high yields of some hay stuff and not develop the relationships I'm looking to develop. I'm, hmm. we, draw, we, we grow high quality indoor cannabis. Those are the people we, we work with. Those are the customers at, at the end of the line that are buying the product. Those are the relationships we have built and we want to maintain. And if we have a crop that doesn't hit that standard, it puts us out of sync, right? It puts the whole chain out of sync. Hmm. So we have to really work on just making sure we're producing quality all the time. And that quality thing can be a danger, or that, that quantity thing can be a danger because if you're chasing it too much, you're, you're bound to switch and lose qual uh, quality. You become a commodity. We don't want to become soybeans and corn, yeah. I don't think. 
If you're a CEO or a CFO listening to this podcast of some company, you probably don't want to listen to me. Uh, my strategy is a little bit different and a controller would probably not appreciate what I'm saying, but uh, I, I like the avenue we're in and it's what we do and it's what we've always done and I, mean, I don't want to really switch. What, what is so challenging about quality, I mean, when we talk about quantity or yield, it's, it's a very quantifiable number. Right? It's it's grams, it's pounds, it's you know, it's it's like getting on a scale and there's a number staring back at you. But what that doesn't get at is the quality characteristics, the, the terpene profile, the secondary metabolites, the color, you know, how it makes you feel, you know, how it how it tastes, you know, I mean even with non cannabis products, right? Like you have a red oak leaf lettuce. If you don't have the right lighting, you just have an oak leaf lettuce. It never turns red, you know? And, and so you get these secondary metabolites that make it something special. But that specialness is also subjective, right? It, it's, it's harder to quantify. I think, again, cannabis is sort of on that leading edge of quantifying quality by measure by having these lab tests and measuring terpene profiles and THC and CBD content and all these things that we don't that are quantifying quality which is really hard to do in general and although I might like really spicy arugula you know someone in Ohio might not like spicy arugula they might want it really bland and mild um, and so what I think is high quality here might be spit out by somebody else. So how, you know, so quality is just hard to quantify or to make everybody happy, but more of something? Yeah, I'll take more of that, right? I mean, we're Americans. More is better. Bigger is better. Blech. That's right, that's it. Blech. Yeah, I guess we're more like this brewery, big sexy brewery here in Sacramento. We're, we're more about the quality, I think, oh, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm totally on the same page with you. So, Steve, what do plants crave? Plants crave everything. Ooh, everything. They love light, water, carbon, nutrients, and the environment to optimize all the components. Do they like to be sung to? So, <laughs> we don't currently play Beethoven or any art of or Metallica or, or Metallica uh, to the plants, but I've had I've had some growers uh, that I've worked with and uh, some guys I've worked with currently that believe that cannabis sure does like a uh, they like a rhythm and they and they like really? that uh, frequency vibration. Uh, you know, good vibes. It's those are very hard things to, to quantify. I'm sure you know the benefit of of this whole thing going legal is someone's gonna be able to do a test on that one day and we will find out if the good vibes make weed better. Or maybe you actually have to sing or talk to them because then you're really just blowing carbon dioxide on them. Okay, that's also true. Yeah, yeah, the carbon dioxide <laughs> singing is, uh, that is good. Yeah, that's right. If you just hang out in your grow room all night long, dude, oh, you don't, yeah, With tons an of open CO2. keg, you know, oh, all yeah. the CO2. Gas and all. Yeah. Yeah. Plants crave everything. Plants crave everything. They uh, plants crave, other than those things, they uh, plants crave attention, and also mm -hmm. being left alone. 
Like every living being, right? Yep. They need their they need their time away from the people. Stop touching me. I'm good. Let me do my thing. Do you think plants are introverts or extroverts? Interesting. I think they're extroverts because I believe they communicate quite a bit with each other. Hmm. I mean, you know, if you think of trees, right? Like yeah. you know that trees talk to each other, For right? Sure. And they're all they're all sending out pheromones and different things all the time. Now they say crop plants are the dumb plants of the industry, if you haven't heard that before. No. But, uh, or not the industry, but of the, of the, the world. The plant world. They say, yeah, I like cloned plants or, you know, plants that have been, you know, used for... Um, Domesticated or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Are the, uh, I don't believe that. Um, and I do, I think they're extroverts because I think they are constantly working in unison and they need a little love. Don't we all? I think so. Well, with that, cheers. All right, cheers. Thank you so much, Steve. That was it super has fun. been a pleasure knowing you and working with you these last few years. Um, we don't have a lot of projects in California or in Sacramento for that matter. Um, and so it's, it's really great to, to know someone like you who's pushing the industry, being innovative, working with others uh, to make it more legitimate and more successful and, and I just appreciate everything you brought to the industry. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for having me and absolutely uh, I appreciate you for everything you're bringing to the industry. Thank you for taking the crossover five years ago, jumping mm -hmm. into the cannabis world. It's been super helpful for everyone and we appreciate you being, being here with us. Awesome. Alright, well, happy Friday. Heck yeah. Alright. That was Dr. Nadia Saba interviewing Steve Squalia of Amplified Farms for our series, What Plants Crave. Tune in next week for our next episode. Dr. Saba will be speaking to Michelle Keller of Living Greens Farm. I'm Dennis Wadan, and this has been The Doctor Is In with Dr. Nadia Saba. Thank you for listening. <laughs>